What's up, everybody? Little Hobby with Cage recording this Monday night halftime. Disappointed by Austin Eckler's first half performance. I need him to get into the end zone in the second half. Let's go, Mr. Eckler. Need you in the end zone. No one knows here about fantasy, though. Do I want to tell you the story? The weekend had a great birthday weekend. Thanks for all the birthday shouts, all the birthday messages, all the the DMs. I think they call them. He, uh, you know, the comments on the YouTube videos. I appreciate them all, guys. It was uh, a fun weekend. Nice long birthday weekend. Started with the, you know, the the cocktails and cards event, the eBay event Thursday night, which was a lot of fun. You got to see some hobby folks out and about, and um, you know, just have a good time. Started off that way. Um, got flight football doubleheader for the little man. You have one and one. Team is two and one now. Um, tell me he enjoys playing defense more than offense. He's kind of got a little Michael Parsons in him, <laughs> which I'm proud of. So, I'm you guys to take a look on my story. Yeah, my walk, I black, and then went to a card show. And that's going to be obviously what I focus the story on here because I'm going to take you back in the time machine, uh, my DeLorean, and I'm going to tell you about a little cage. Walking around card shows in 1993, 94, 95, not so much 96, 93, 94, 95, and we had a heck of a boom then too, and there were just card shows popping up everywhere. You guys ever been to an Elks Lodge show? It's funny, I was walking around Hofstra and somebody handed out a flyer, hey, come to my show in Queens, it's at the Elks Lodge, I remember, Staten Island Elks Lodge show, around the corner, so I ride my bike there, and uh Going to those shows, going to the local shows, the 10 table shows, the 20 table shows, and then all these other big shows. Shows are popping up. You, know, you can go back a couple years, you didn't see too many shows. And it was the same thing in the 80s, you know? We were collecting cards. Collecting cards wasn't that easy, you know? You bought some packs. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have all this craziness. But then as it got popular, as more people started doing it, as money started flowing in, you started to see... A lot more people doing it, a lot more access to it, a lot more card stores opening up. Um, you know, nobody really did 14,000 square feet, but do you really need that for a card store? I don't think so, but I'm not the, you know, I'm not the one who, who makes that decision. Um, but card stores everywhere. And then shows everywhere. And a couple years after that, hobby companies were going bankrupt. Hobby companies were going out of business. Hobby companies, um, you know, people want to talk about like Skybox, Metal, some of the premier cards that are being made. You know, that company it's, it doesn't exist. It was folded into and the licensing of it was bought by Upper Deck. I mean, and here it is, you know, everybody's buying metal PMGs, all these amazing 90s inserts, half the companies that those inserts were made by don't even exist. So you fast forward from that, you know, that 80s, early 90s, to a, a, a spot where a lot of those stores that opened closed. People moved away from cards. People Stop having so many card shows. The Elks Lodge shows weren't happening as much. And what I'm going to talk about is that period of time between that late 80s, early 90s, and then the mid to late 90s. What happened in the middle? I remember walking around card shows and looking in showcases. 
And at the time, those showcases were filled, filled. Every couple showcases here and there had some mantles and had some vintage cards and, you know, had some had some older stuff. But most showcases were filled with, you know, the stars of the day. They were filled with uh, Marshall Falk cards. They were filled with um, Edwin James cards. They were filled with, um, you know, names like Kerry Collins was a huge quarterback prospect. You had, uh, you know, Joey Galloway, the wide receiver. I mean, he was sort of like your Jamar Chase, you know, speedster. He was going to be huge. He was going to be great. Um, Terry Glenn. <laughs> and in basketball, you had, you know, Grant Hill, Glenn Robinson, right? Jason Kidd. You had your your Chris Weber cards, you know, Eddie Jones. Just shiny cards, gold foil everywhere, gold cards, die-cut cards, just cases upon cases, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars in cards, just, you know, showcase after showcase. And you went to the next table, and there was another showcase filled with Jason Kidd and Grant Hill and just filled with those guys. Todd Day and Harold Meyer, you know, Jim Jackson. Adam Keefe, just loads. Anyone to the next table, the next table, shiny, shiny cards, you know, pinnacle cards, all kinds of cool things, insert cards, all these, you know, all these cards. And, and I found myself, my wife came to the show at Hofstra on Sunday, I found myself actually, you know, preaching a little to her. I'm sure she hated every minute of it and saying, see this showcase here? I am having flashbacks because I'm not seeing Adam Keefe. I'm seeing Alperin Sanguine. <laughs> I'm not seeing Jason Kidd and Glenn Robinson and Grant Hill. I'm seeing Cade Cunningham. I'm seeing LaMelo Ball. Right? I'm seeing Jalen Williams. Right? I'm not seeing, uh, you know, Rick Meyer or Drew Bledsoe or Trent Dilfer or Heath Schuler. I'm seeing... Justin Herbert, I'm seeing Justin Fields, I'm seeing Hertz, um, seeing Trevor Lawrence, but I'm seeing the same thing that I saw during that window. I'm seeing just cases of inventory, cards that I, I know because I still have a bunch of them. I still have a ton of Drew Bledsoe cards that were going to be my college fund. My I was going to buy a house with them. You know, he was going to be the guy. He was him. He was going to be him. And what's amazing about it is I thought to myself that what happened here and what I think the period we're in now is exactly that period that we had in the 90s there. It was this, you know, exuberance. It was this, you know, folks came in. Money came in. Businesses came in. The printing presses ran and the card companies were making as much money as they could printing the cards and making as many cards as they could. But you wound up with just so many cards, so many of the same guy, of the same player, so many releases, so many inserts, so many repeated cards, so many of the same asset, so many of the same things. And how 
are you going to differentiate any of them? And how are any of them going to have any real value? And then more importantly, I mean, of all those names that I just mentioned who were, you know, top guys, right? I mean, the top basketball player in the 90s, you know, later on you got Kobe. You know, you had early on Shaq and Alonzo Mourning was huge. I mean, if you were just just buying Alonzo Mourning cards, you know, hand over fist, he was going to be the best. How many people collect Alonzo Mourning? You know, how many people have, you know, valuable Alonzo Mourning cards? And that's kind of, you know, the, the – the thing that struck me, right, is just everybody has thousands of dollars in inventory of the same rinse and repeat type of stuff. And the the, the difficult part is, you know, that these shows, the popularity of them, the business, the, the you know, the, the the money churn is these kids coming in, walking around with Zion cases, and they have the same cards, and it's you know, they're buying them, they're selling them to the dealers, the dealers are reselling them. And, you know, for that cycle to continue, right, everybody has to kind of stay in this. The problem is, and I'll go back to the 90s, is that, you know, people came in, you were looking at the price of cards, and, you know, cards value started to go up because the printing presses hadn't yet been turned on, right? And, you know, some of your some of your cards that were rarer started going up in value, right? You know, that late 80s, early 90s, if you had older cards that weren't printed as much, they were going up in value. I mean, it was the first time I remember, you know, seeing a Mickey Mantle card and, and, and seeing how much it's worth. I think Golden posted a video from, you know, 1988 of a guy holding a Mickey Mantle card in his Lucite, you know, the, the one-inch thick bulletproof glass kind of case that they say don't keep your cards in anymore. I've got quite a few of them in my basement. Um, you know, $35,000 in Mickey Mantle card. You know, but then what happens is, you know, the late 80s come and they make more. Now, 89, upper deck, just print, 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 print. And then you have just this proliferation, this explosion of cards and just so many of them because they're trying to meet the demand. But then they overproduce. And at the same time, more is being made and people are leaving. Because there isn't that same, I'm going to take my $100 and turn it into $500. There isn't that same kind of chase of that money. And, and whether we want to say it or not, a lot of what fueled the boom in the last couple of years is exactly that. It was a lot of people coming in looking for an opportunity to flip, looking for an opportunity to make money, looking for an opportunity to buy something low and sell it high. And there were plenty of opportunities for that. Not as much quick money opportunities now. Are there opportunities to make money? 100%. Not the same kind of buy it this week and next week it's worth double, even though it's off season. That's just what was going on. Um, you know, that's not here. And I think you can see a lot of people kind of, you know, realize that. And the sad part for me is, you know, I know the Eddie Jones cards that people have. I know the, you know, the, the Isaac Bruce cards that people have and the, you know, the Drew Bledsoe cards. And, it none of them are sought after and i'm gonna tell you if you're sitting out there holding and this is just one guy's opinion of it right just something that popped in my brain as i'm going on the show you're sitting out there holding a case full of the same repetitive you know inserts number cards prism parallels you know shiny silvers refractors of, of these young guys that may or may not turn into who knows what 
I don't know how much longer we have with the same amount of people in this, right? I mean, I can just tell you, you know, my own, I used to have a lot more, you know, groups of people who were in this to, you know, flip, to buy low, sell high, buy raw, grade, you know, the local group of young kids who want to start a card show and want to have trade nights and trade events. You just don't hear as much talk of it anymore. You don't hear as much. And I'm going to tell you the show itself. I took to every dealer except for Black Jaded Wolf and nobody said it was a good show. Nobody, nobody. Um, you know, it was raining on Saturday. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, a lot of people said it was light. A lot of people said, you know, not as much foot traffic as they were hoping for what they were expecting. And I think you're going to hear a lot more of that. If I'm, if I'm honest, I think the shows really need to work to get, I love what Chantilly is doing. I love what the Philly show and those guys, you know, uh, put it together, you know, the, the like one-on-one experience with Champ Bailey and, you know, come in and get a VIP experience and, you know, meet and greet this player or that player, and, you know, cut the line, and, you know, do your photos first with, uh, you know, with these guys, um, things like that, that'll, that'll bring more foot traffic into the, into the show. It hundred percent will. Um, but I, I gotta tell you, I mean, you know, I took Ian both days and he basically sold a ton of cards from his collection, a lot of Pokemon cards, just a lot of stuff. I didn't see as many kids doing that. Nowhere near as many as it was, obviously, the peak, but not even as many as there were a couple of months ago. And it um, a little bit uh, because I'm seeing a lot of parallels to when I was a teen myself and, you know, got into this and then everything just became cookie cutter. Everything became mass produced and everything became, wow, I have this whole binder of Shaquille O'Neal cards. I have this whole binder of Alonzo Mourning cards. I put together the set of the Skybox draft picks. This way I have every first round picks insert card. doesn't matter who turns into something. I got them. You know what I mean? But everybody has those and none of them mattered. And it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. And I guess the only kind of like learning, you know, thought that I had from it is on a positive note. Um, if you're a collector, if you're somebody who's in this for the long haul, that last um, stretch where you had this, you know, people coming into the hobby in the late '80s, early '90s, um, and then that boom of production, you know, the the you know the, the more people coming in, more cards being made, you name it, and then people kind of leaving. I believe it forced. I've talked about this innovation change because with less money and less you know rabid fan base and less people spending you wound up having to have those the adventure of the chrome card you know the chrome refractors you know like that you know Kobe's rookie um jersey cards um you know number cards autograph inserted and i don't know what it is that carries the water for the hobby if we start you know seeing this but i will tell you this i mean i spoke to a lot of people about this my thought and i'll keep it short so i can watch the second half is um, we are, we're entering into that, that stage here where I think you're going to see a lot of people continue to leave. A lot of people already have, I think you see a lot of people continue to leave and you want to be smart about what inventory you're holding when that happens. Um, because the breaking's not stopping, the printing's not stopping and the same cookie cutter for every draft class is coming out. And I can only imagine when it's said and done, how many cards we're going to see of Wemby in showcases over the next 18 months. It's going to be interesting to watch. Different kind of show. I did a little hobby happy last week. This was sort of my, you know, my take on it. I enjoyed the show. I had fun. Like I said, I brought my wife, my son, two days. 
It was a great, you know, birthday fun. We got to see Black Shaded Wolf, who was the only person who had a great time, but it's because she knows what she's doing. You know, buying comic cards at one show and then bringing them to Comic-Con, buying sport cards at Comic-Con and bringing them to Austria and selling them there. I mean, she picked up a couple cards from me on Thursday night. And like I said, I'm sure she probably sold them for five times what she paid because she was bringing them to Comic-Con. People like that will be fine. They were here before this run-up. They'll be here after, and they know how to prepare for it. Um, that's kind of why I talk about this, why I bring up what, what my thought is on it. And I could be dead wrong, guys. You know, this is just my opinion. Um, better to be prepared, right, and position your own collection um, in a way that protects you in case we are cycling back to where we were in the 90s. That's it, guys. I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Talk to you soon. Let's go Epler. Get me a touchdown. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys.